what we do now will determine what we can may be able to do in the fall. You know, information's like eggs. The fresher, the better. What makes the most sense locally for all of us so that locally we're on the same page? We had an additional 1,500 cases yesterday. So the last, the last seven days has been the highest seven-day total uh, since March 13th. 20 minutes to get the kids checked in. They're using their own Google Doc with uh, put the responsibility of the parents at home to check their temperatures. I would just encourage everybody and challenge you. Be bold with your leadership. Know this is the right thing. Hey, everybody. This is Pat Cohan with the AD Insider Podcast. Today, we're going to take you inside a live roundtable event we hosted on Zoom with the NIAAA Associate Executive Director, Phil Risen, five influential athletic directors from across the U.S., and over 700 attendees watching live. In the roundtable, we discuss what PPE our panelists had to purchase at the last minute, how our panelists structured their return to play plans, and ways to reduce liability as your facilities start to open up. Before we get started, this podcast is powered by Clawway Coaches Directory, the team that has been helping coaches and administrators connect for close to 60 years. If you haven't already, download their app and update your school's information today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this AD Insider Roundtable. My name is Becky Moran. I am the athletic director at Round Lake High School in Round Lake, Illinois, which is about 50 miles north of the city of Chicago, um, very suburban area where I'm at. My school size is about 2,300 students. And just a current status on Illinois, um, our governor had five phases for reopening Illinois. We are currently in phase three which puts us in our state association stage one for returning back to athletics. Um, we're allowed to have groups of 10, which would include coaches. Um, and so we're in the process of getting that implemented here at our school. Thank you. Thanks, Becky. This is Derek Follison, and I am the director of athletics, safety and security for the Tolleson Union High School District in Tolleson, Arizona. We're on the west side of Phoenix, about a half an hour from the downtown area. We have about 13,000 students in six different high schools in three different conference levels. And our current return to play status is that in Arizona, they were allowed to open on June 1st, but our district currently has not opened and I'll speak about that in a few minutes. Jason. Thanks, Derek. My name is Dr. Jason Parker. I am the director of athletics for Muskogee Public Schools in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Uh, we're about a 45-minute drive east of Tulsa, and uh, it's a great place to be. Uh, I'd like to thank Pat and all the work that uh, AD Insider is doing. This has become an invaluable resource, I know, for all of us and, and everyone watching. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the, the Oklahoma protocols and guidelines as far as where we are um, later in the show. But thank you. Uh, Bo? Thanks, Sean. Uh, I'm Bo Hanson, Athletic Director at Pickerton High School Central. We are just east of Columbus, Ohio, about 10 minutes. Uh, we have 11,000 students in a two high school district. There are 1,900 students in my high school. Uh, Ohio just opened up on May 26th. It was a real quick surprise. Got thrown at us that I can discuss. And we chose not to open up until just this past Monday, uh, June 8th, with fall sports only. And, uh, it's exciting to be a part of this. Sean? Thank you, Bo. My name's Sean Pratt. I'm the athletic director in McKinney, Texas. Uh, we have about 25,000 students in our district. We've got uh, two 6A high schools and one 5A high school here in McKinney. In uh, the state of Texas, we, 
we started back uh, this past Monday on the 8th with our student athletes and summer conditioning and skills um, for all sports. And so we've been doing that for a few days here for four days and everything so far is going well. So Phil. Thanks, Sean. And uh, welcome everyone. It's a privilege and opportunity to be here with you today. And uh, just uh, want to share with you, I'm Phil Rise. I'm the associate executive director of the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. And we're located on the north side of Indianapolis here in Indy, in Indiana. And uh, currently, uh, office staff, we've uh, started back in in a slowly phasing in process. We work from home uh, starting around that March 13th date, which all of us are familiar with that date. We have it marked. And if you think about that, we're almost at a four-month four uh, spectrum when you look at it. June 13th will be Saturday. So uh, currently, we're back in the office. We'll be full-fledged uh, with office staff uh, phasing in um, uh, starting on Monday. But uh, it's great to be here. Look forward to sharing uh, the collaboration. And again, want to thank Patrick and AD Insider for the job they're doing in the collaboration and getting the word out to our athletic administrators. Appreciate that, Phil. And again, a lot of people behind this to make it possible. A lot of people have served on these panels. Um, circulating information, that's been the coolest part is everybody's sharing. So that's what we're here to do. Um, you know, Phil, you mentioned the Friday the 13th, um, uh, March 13th, when that happened. You know, from there to now, I'm sure at the national office, you've had an interesting perspective to see what's going on across the country. So, so from there to where we sit today, you know, what's your perspective on how the different states are returning to play and kind of what issues are, are coming to mind when you look across the states uh, from where you sit? Well, first of all, I, I'm so proud of our profession. As athletic administrators, Patrick, it's, it's been phenomenal to see our athletic administrators, even though they've been working from home, uh, to be in the process of leading leading their coaches, leading their students during these difficult times. And so here at the NIAAA, we've tried to uh, maintain current level of operations. Uh, we went into where we were able to offer some workshops. We were able to offer some additional webinars. And, and the response has been phenomenal. Phenomenal in the sense that when we would reach out to athletic administrators to offer their skills and their talents, they were phenomenal and we never heard the word no. And so what, what's so rewarding with our profession is, is that it's, it's continuing to be a give back process where the collaboration, the sharing, and sharing of ideas. And so we're so thankful for that. And then during this whole process, uh, what we have found is that each day the pendulum kind of changes. And we go back to maybe as we uh, we're working through this process and we watched our athletic administrators get engaged in professional development for themselves because they had a little bit of downtime. They didn't have to worry about supervision. So they got engaged in professional development. We're all experts in Zoom now. We're all experts in, you know, this type of communication. And so that's been phenomenal to watch. But now as we get toward the planning component, where we're starting to carry out and implement plans that are occurring throughout the different states, what we're seeing is a hybrid model. And the hybrid model is primarily, you're gonna hear from some of our panelists today who are gonna talk about the fact that they've started, they're engaged, they haven't yet engaged, they're wondering about engaging. And then, you know, then we go back to the National Federation and the Sports Medicine Committee released their guidelines. We've been absorbing those. A lot of states have developed some on their own additional guidelines. 
And so it's a, a continuous spectrum of change. It's kind of like, uh, and Mike Blackburn, um, our executive director, kind of gives me a little grief over this, but I always use the George Patton quote. You know, information's like eggs. The fresher, the better. So, the, you know, as we get closer on down the road, we're getting additional information. And each additional information is changing maybe how we have to go about as athletic administrators carrying out leading our athletic department. So it's been, it's been interesting. I think we've seen uh, the model of, for education-based, be more of a conservative approach. You know, and we got to realize the most important thing is the health and safety of our staff and our students. Students, number one, we have to take care of them. And it's the method in which we go about taking care of them in order to communicate that message to our coaches, all of our stakeholders. And so I'm just so excited and proud to be a, an athletic administrator uh, as a retired school administrator of 30 years and now to be with NIAAA for four years. It continues to please my heart to see the, the individuals that we have working with our student athletes on a daily basis. And so, you know, when we look at that, we're looking at the, all the different health protocols out there that, and, and we're going to hear some of them talk about some of the things they've, they've had to purchase. They've had to go out in order to ensure that safety. And Jason might talk a little bit about the litigious component of as an athletic administrator, as we get into that. And so, you know, we like to say that, you know, the risk management part, but again, if we put students and we put them number one, and we are assuring their safety, then as athletic administrators, we're going to carry out that message and lead with a purpose. It's so important. I think it's so important that we get back, but I think it's so important that when we get back, it's right. And I don't want to, you know, grant, you know, we don't want to go with maybe a setback. We want to make this a comeback, and that's where we're dealing with right now. Phil, you talk about change, and, and a big role of the NIAAA is the convention. Is there going to be any con, uh, changes to the convention coming into December? Well, we hope not. We're, uh, we're planning accordingly, but okay. we are taking, we are taking uh, some, some measures. Uh, Patty and our staff, and in conjunction with the National Federation staff, continue to work and monitor the events that are occurring in the Tampa Convention Center, and there's a couple of con large conventions taking place down there. Uh, currently, right now, our plan is, and we normally would open up registration for our attendees, for registration for the conference, and for the hotel sometime around right after the 4th of July. I think we've decided this year we're going to wait and maybe move that back to the 1st of August, somewhere in there, try to get a little bit further down the road. So, um, our plan is, and we're still, we're going to, uh, we're preparing to host that conference in Tampa, but understand part of any good athletic administrator, we're gonna prepare for the, for the best, and we're, not, we're gonna hope that the worst doesn't occur, but we'll also be prepared for that if it does. We appreciate that, and, and we appreciate your perspective on this because um, you, know, you get to see it from an interesting lens. Uh, but I do wanna dive in, you know, uh, the time is going about as fast as that chat function is. I mean, it is flying, trying to keep up with the questions that are coming through. So uh, I do wanna start with Becky, and in your situation, you just heard that you could open up, uh, but when we talked preparing for this panel, you had yet to have an idea of when you could execute your plan and, and not as uh, far along as we see in Texas and in Oklahoma where they're activating their plans this week. So, you know, from where you're at, 
um, you know, there are unique factors that kind of inhibited you guys from being able to open up and, uh, you know, without having a real timeline, what was difficult about building that plan, um, not knowing when you'd be able to execute it? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing, so for everyone who doesn't know, Illinois has five phases for reopening. Um, and when we hit phase three, there was a component that allowed us to get back on campus in small groups, but we lacked the guidance from our State Board of Education and from our state association. And so trying to plan for what that might look like, you're just, you know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, trying to figure out what somebody's going to say we need to be doing. Um, and so you started your planning in hopes that it was going to, you know, fall into one way. Um, and so once we received that guidance, so just to give you perspective, we moved to our governor's phase three on May 29th, and then moved to, we received guidance from our state association on what was allowed on June 5th. And so you weren't even really allowed to start planning until then because you didn't know what that was gonna look like. And so here we are on June 11th, my plan has been approved at a local level, both by my health department and my school administration, which is required of our state association. Um, and now we're moving into the phase of getting coaches in place and getting kids in place with an intended start date for bringing kids back on campus on June 22nd. Beautiful. And I wanna, I wanna kind of jump over uh, because in our preliminary call, I asked you, you know, for those that have already built their plan and started executing it, what would be your biggest question? And that question was, what worked and what didn't work? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sean Pratt in Texas, I had the opportunity to work with you on the Texas ADs roundtable uh, a few weeks ago. And you were very advanced in, in planning what you needed on the PPE side of things. You bought a ton of stuff. And uh, I, I brought that question to you on our pre-panel call. Um, you know, what worked from your, I mean, you had amazing um, foresight to be able to order all that stuff and bring that in. Uh, for those that don't know the story, could you give a brief overview of that? And then two, answer Becky's question of what worked and what didn't work. Sure. No, I think, I mean, going back to, to Phil talking about the March 13th date, my superintendent gave me a heads up that we weren't going to come back for an extra week. He said, Sean, we're announcing a week but it may be much, much longer. And I want you to wrap your brain around that. So um, I called uh, our assistant ADs. We got it together and, and started brainstorming. And, you know, we're, worst case scenario here, and it is long-term, it's the rest of the school year. And when we do return, what's it going to be like, et cetera. Pulled our athletic trainers in and we just brainstormed on what we needed. We ended up buying 700 and something gallons of hand sanitizer, a whole lot of thermometers, masks, gloves, wipes, um, and, and so we're fortunate because a lot of guys were scrambling late, you know, because it started being backordered. Um, and even some of ours was backordered even at that point. I think some of the people we used got government contracts that ended up trumping us, et cetera. But, um, but we're fortunate we had all that. And, I, you know, Becky, I'd say I think it really, you know, in our, the UIL has been great in Texas and has fought really hard to, to help us and, and given us a lot of uh, feedback but they've been fighting to get information too. But, you know, all the complicated plan that we put together, we spent hours and hours. I, I stole from the University of Texas, got some of those guys there in their, in their athletic department to help me out. And, and it's a very complicated plan, but when it pulls down to it, it's, it's really about uh, self-distancing and, and 
you know, just sanitization. I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to. Um, that, you know, I think after we delivered the plan to our coaches, I think they're all just kind of going, wow, are we ready to bring kids back under this plan? And, and that's what I try. I said, look, guys, cut through all of the minutiae. It's keep kids so, social distance or, or self-distance and, and let's keep everything clean. And, and that's really what it boils down to. And we're going to have positives. I told them that today. We sent a group home today. Had a kid come in, had three symptoms, um, and, sh and showed up. No matter how much you lecture them, right, they showed up to tell us about the symptoms. Um, and we had to pull his group of nine and his coach and send them back home. And he's getting tested today, and, and we'll, we'll work through the process. I think that's going to happen. We've seen the colleges come back and the football players come back. They all have a small percentage of asymptomatic positives. And, and I'm sure we have those two. We're just not testing them and not aware. So beautiful. Now, was there anything you did not purchase in the beginning when you got all that PPE stuff? Was there anything you're like, man, I got to rush to get this? Yes, sir. There was. So one of the one of our um, things that we had to do with the UIL was we had to sanitize the balls after after every session. And did, I did not think of it, but none of us thought about it. So we were scrambling around. We purchased some of those blue wands that you charge, and then you use the blue UV lighting to, to sanitize the balls um, so that we're not ruining them with Wizard or some other, you know. So, yeah, that's, that was one that caught us by surprise. Beautiful. Now, uh, Bo, with your plan, uh, in talking to Sean, he was very, you know, got all the equipment, got everything in there. Um, was there anything – uh, unique to your situation that, that you may be able to share in terms of the preparation to execute your plan? When we first came back? Yep. Yeah, we, we were kind of thrown into it. Um, the governor had opened up in Ohio to uh, baseball, softball, kind of like a rec league. And then the very next day, he threw uh, skills training for non-contact sports right in on top of us. So uh, we were spinning fast um, and and meeting you know it seemed like non-stop all day every day but then we we decided to hold off until june 8th uh, that was may 26th that opened but our district decided to to pull back um you know we met several times with our head coaches on what would be a great plan and how to work it out um from from the first day of starting back on june 8th with our fall athletes only and band so we limited the first two weeks um, to fall athletes only and our band and our, our winter sports, spring sports and junior highs will come back on the 22nd of June. So that's been, that's been a, a really good plan for us. And, you know, and holding the, the winter sports and spring sports coaches have been on board with it. They understand that the fall coaches are really the ones that have to make this work in order for them to get to participate too. So, and they're two and three seasons away from starting. So that's where we're at. And are they doing full skill training? You said that he said it was okay to do that, but again, what are you having those fall sports do? We've limited the amount of time they can be there. We ha we've had major conversations about, hey, you know, don't bring these kids back in and try to kill them. Uh, like our football team, we ran 120 kids through um, a one-hour workout. Basically, took 20 minutes to get the kids checked in. They're using their own Google Doc with uh, put the responsibility of the parents at home to check their temperatures. Uh, that Google Doc that they submit goes right into a coach's folder per sport. Uh, the coach checks it right there if they haven't taken their temperature. For example, like Monday, we sent three kids home that did not take their temperature before they got to practice 
or should I say conditioning. Um, so we've really limited the amount of time they're allowed to be on campus and how they arrive and how they leave. So there's no interaction of kids hanging out in the parking lot um, with their pods. And I think that that temperature piece was interesting in talking to all the different ADs that we work with. Um, some people are taking temperatures on site. They're having their staff actually administer uh, the temperature. Others like yourself are just having it, putting it on the parents or the kid to submit that in the Google form. Um, and, and what's great about Google forms is it's timestamp. Yes. On this day, they inserted this temperature. Um, you know, is there a, from I'm going to open this up to the panel you know is there you know a better way to do that or is it just kind of it just the way it worked with your different schools in terms of we have to take the temperature or we're going to have them take the temperature we, our athletic trainer played a key role in coming up with this plan uh, and she designed the google doc with all the information on it made the folders for the coaches and actually on wednesday when we brought the football team through it took less than half the time as it did on Monday because we ended up alphabetizing it, not by group, but by the entire sport, which made it a lot quicker than them. And we sent a parent information sheet home uh, with guidelines that explained to them the importance of their role in making sure that their son or daughter was healthy and, and uh, symptomatic free. Yeah. And I, I Bo, you said earlier, I, I could do this. So I'm going to put that, that Google or that form in the chat here for everybody. Uh, it's a sports screening form straight from uh, Bo's school. Um, so those of you that are asking about resources, that's been there. Um, now, I want to kind of shift it over to Derek, who is it, was, hasn't already executed the whole plan. When we talked last, you were just getting it approved. You were kind of defending the plan. Um, when you look at how much your community wants to be involved and wants to start, what hesitations, or I guess what I'm trying to search for is what made you double down and relook at your plan to make sure that you had it perfect? Well, the primary thing that everyone's going to find out is everybody's districts and schools have their own challenges and characteristics. And in our, in our community, uh, we have our own situation and we've got to take care of those particular people. So what we wanted to do was make sure that one, we had all the sanitizing and cleaning and preparation with our facilities departments and communicated with them what our needs were going to be. And once when we were able to know that that was feasible, then we began continuing putting that plan uh, in place with all of the coaches and the athletic trainers, which were a big piece of that for us as well. And then coming up with a timeline that our administration and, and staff felt was attainable. Uh, we didn't want to start something that we couldn't uh, continue over a period of time that was transitional when we are starting with fall at our school district as well. I know there are districts that, that Arizona started June 1st and they began implementing with the amount of personnel they have, they were able to start with all of their sports. So that's another key factor is what personnel do you have available in the summer? If there's folks coaching in your program that work days, then it kind of gives you the timeline. When are they available? And so as we began to get information from our coaches, when are you available, that also dictated what our plan could be. So there's just so many factors that we needed to make sure we had in place before we just jumped into a plan that was going to fail. And the, I mean, with your county in particular, uh, you were telling me on the phone that you're one of the fastest uh, or 
third highest cases in the last 10 days. Give me the stats on that. Yeah, it's not been a good week uh, for Arizona, uh, particularly Maricopa County. Uh, we had an additional 1,500 cases yesterday. So the last, the last seven days has been the highest seven-day total uh, since March 13th. And that could be for a number of factors. Arizona was very slow in testing. Uh, but also we opened up our uh, stay-at-home order ended on uh, March, or excuse me, May 15th and then followed by Memorial Day weekend and the beautiful weather we have, it's kind of escalated into uh, maybe a lack of the social distancing and social rules or guidelines being followed. But uh, data is difficult to use. That's what makes decisions that schools make uh, very hard. And so the Arizona situation is being monitored very closely. They've uh, advanced a little bit in this, and the Maricopa County Health Department is reached to another emergency level as of yesterday. So we're monitoring that closely, but we feel if we implement some of those plans that the folks have talked about, that we can take care of our kids and our staff and our community. Beautiful. And so for Jason, uh, with your plan, I mean, you guys held back also, uh, you guys were a little bit later than what was allowed. Um, when you're hearing like statistics of there being um, more cases, you know, how, how does that make you, um, you know, assess your plan? You know, what are you looking at your plan in terms of ha what happens when we, if we have a pop-up of, of cases? Well, to, to Mr. Risen's point, uh, anytime you have new information, uh, you're responsible for, for acting accordingly. So your plan has to be flexible. It has to be fresh where you can easily modify it. Um, and so we, we feel we have that as best we can. Uh, obviously, our, our PPE uh, initial outlay was, was over $10,000. So we, we have a lot on site that we feel um, not only prepares us for today, but also anything in the future. Um, so it's just we're, we're taking it with a constant, constant look towards monitoring and being able to adjust on the fly as needed. And I've seen this in the chat where people are mentioning, hey, our, where, where are people getting guidance, right? Is it the NFHS? Is it their activities association? In Oklahoma, you had a unique situation where the activities association put together a plan, but then it was knocked down. So paint a picture for kind of that dilemma that went through the last three weeks and how you were able to, um, you know, kind of build something that worked for your own school. Well, last month, the OSSA, uh, which is our governing body, met to decide what our plan would be. And through a series of back and forth, basically what ended up happening is the smaller schools uh, throughout the state kind of won the day. And they, they were pushing for things to go back to, to normal just because they didn't have the same resources as some of the larger schools. And really, these, these um, facilities uh, serve as such a hub of activity for their locales. And so what happened was that the OSSA board actually voted um, to go back to normal business as usual uh, as of the last week of May. Um, and that was contrary to the executive director um, who had a, and his staff who had come up with a, with a phase-in plan. And so uh, to, to harken back to your question earlier, um, as far as from Becky, uh, what's worked and what's not worked, I would say one of the biggest things that we've relied upon in Oklahoma 
is the network of ADs, particularly the network of ADs uh, of schools of similar size. And so, uh, again, from a legal standpoint, there's so, so much um, protection in the collection, right? Like the more we do together, it kind of works as an implied industry standard. And so our network has been huge at, at really taking the guidelines that were promulgated by the executive director of the OSSA and fashioning, fashioning them into a way that works for, for, for each specific locale. But at the same time, uh, the underlying themes are very, very close. And so again, we have that protection in the collection. I like that line. I'm gonna probably quote that later in a tweet, but that's, that's pretty good. Now, uh, on that point, Sean, you've rolled, you started up, you rolled through. One thing you mentioned you're doing on the phone is you're doing a survey of your parents. So when, in, when it comes to collecting information, I think it rides off of Jason's point pretty well. Can you talk about that survey and what you're trying to acquire in terms of information? Sure, and we ought to have the results here uh, by Monday, but we've, we're just surveying our parents and finding out who's, who's comfortable coming back, uh, who's, who's not coming back. I'm, I'm on a task force of how we're going to return to school and just, you know, or do you want it virtually? Do you want it brick and mortar? Do you want uh, a hybrid model somewhere in between? Um, so we're, we're working on all those different models, and it's, as everybody said today, the information changes daily. We're, we're fighting to get information from our state agency. Um, we, so we don't really know what the rules are yet, right? Um, but we're trying to have plans uh, A through F so that whichever one is the most applicable, we can, we can put it in, in play. So getting that, I mean, I think when we, we did a, a Zoom with our parents from each high school and middle school before we started Monday, we did it last week, educated them about the, the plan of returning the athletes to campus. Um, and then we opened it up for questions and, and we knew that would tell us a lot. We knew our enrollment would tell us a lot. Um, we were very surprised. Most of, we had some questions about the process, but most of the questions were, I mean, they were ready to get going. And, and our numbers right now, we have record numbers in our summer conditioning and skills. We're, we're popping at the seams. So, I mean, I think everybody here, and I know every region's different. I think here, they're, we've had enough of being inside. Uh, we're ready to go live with this and deal with it and try to, try to coexist with it. Derek, yeah, go ahead, Bill. Well, I just wanted to kind of pose a question to the panelists because some of the questions that are being uh, maybe submitted would be related to transportation. And, you know, Sean made a great point there when he talked about brick and mortar or the hybrid model or whatever we end up doing, you know, as we get back in school. Because understand, that's a most important component for us to continue to get our education-based athletic programs going. So I would be interested. I know uh, in the state that I'm from and where I served for 30 years, transportation was a main issue because we were looking at if you stayed with the social distancing model and maybe being able to put 12 to 13 student athletes on a 77 passenger bus. Well, I don't know about you, but if we're going to play a, a football game, it's going to be harder to get 10 or 11, 12, 13 buses to transport everyone. And then the, the component there is related to school. How do we get everyone to school? So I know in Kentucky, they ultimately ended up uh, determining that they were going to allow them to be able to sit side by side, but there are some parameters to that. You'll have to wear a mask and whatever, but that was a big obstacle to the fact of what Sean's talking about. How do we go back to school? 
I mean, anybody else have any advice on that transportation thing or other conversations? Because I think that's the number one thing after we get through the plans, you know, okay, we got to get our plan situated. And, but then it's like all these other hurdles that go into fall. Anybody have anything on transportation? That's, that's still where we're at. Exactly what Phil said. We're allowed 15 on a bus right now. And you, we can't do it. I mean, we've, we've met from an athletic director standpoint, and we've already talked about visiting bands. They're going to be out of the picture, right? I mean, it's, you know, you got 300 member band trying to, trying to bust them from Longview, Texas to here. It's a three and a half hour drive. It's not going to happen. Um, so we're trying to make, you know, contingencies for all that. But and, and they're going to have to give. There's no way we can afford to bus kids to our school system with 15 on a bus. But that's right now. That's where they're at. 15 to a bus. Things that we talked about in one of the calls I was on this week was the potential for travel rosters and not traveling those kids that you know that aren't going to participate in the competition um, and just what that would bring as the conversation. I mean, that's certainly a different mindset for a high school level for most of us. If if we've done it, it's been in football only. Um, but so those would be some tough conversations to have with kids like, hey, I don't think you're going to play tonight. You're not coming. And that's just a different conversation than we've had to have at a high school level. But it, we may be there right now. Derek? Yeah, we have the flip side of that as well. We've sent out some recent surveys to our districts and our and our, we're a high school district. And so we sent things out to the partner districts as well. And what do you have when those students are not uh, going to be allowed to ride transportation just simply to school. And then you have to, uh, you know, acknowledge that particular request from them. We had 45% uh, of our survey said that they will not be using school transportation. They would be transporting themselves. And even though we have a lot of walkers, that's a, that's a substantial amount of students that we would have to consider all the impact that would occur just during a regular school day of them trying to get to school in our parking lots, in our drop-off zones of a 45% not using school transportation. And that very same parent and child may say, hey, we wanna play sport or be in activities, but we're not riding your transportation to the event. Will that be allowed? And that just, it just is another factor of transportation is a gigantic piece of all of these activities. Now, I've heard several of you say this opening of strength and conditioning um, and getting athletes on campus is a precursor to fall. And if we do a good job with opening up here, we will be better suited when we go into the fall. How have you communicated that to your coaches um, to make sure that they're, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T um, so that we are able to have an easier opening in the fall? Jason? Well, we, we started with our, our monthly coaches meeting when we started to discuss this last month. And really is just trying to get the point across that no matter how you feel about this, no matter what your unique experience has been with it, it is our responsibility to treat it at the utmost, you know, to, to really almost have a militant nature as far as protection uh, executing on our guidelines, because let's be honest, I mean, and, and we've seen that th this first week, uh, as soon as you get going, those protocols kind of kind of drop back a little bit, you know, as soon as I'm seeing kids in the gym that are sweating and, and out in the in the weight rooms that are, you know, really getting after it. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, can I take these gloves off? 
can I take this mask off and different things of that nature. And so we've really had to get across that point that, um, hey, if the, what we do now will determine what we can may be able to do in the fall. So we're a big driver of, um, you know, what happens here in our locale. And I think we're starting to see that no matter if it's at the professional level, collegiate, high school, even with uh, youth sports, it's like some locales are open and they're full, full force going and others are still closed. And I think that's going to be the new reality is you're going to be responsible for guarding your yard, so to speak, because you and your the actions of your staff can determine um, whether or not you're going to be open a month from now. I'm going to stay, or Bo, you, you're unmuted. But we, we, we've delayed our weight room as well. Um, you know, the football coaches from both high schools got together and we decided we weren't opening the weight room until June 22nd. And that's to give us a two week opportunity to get fall sports right. Cause you know, we're, we're looking at it like there's one opportunity to make this work. Um, and, and our governor has basically came out and said, you know, there will be school in the fall. It's up to each individual district. So, I mean, to think that we can play a football game and not be able to put kids on a school bus, those two things are like in opposite extremes of, of our thinking. One doesn't work without the other, really. Derek, when, when we talked, you talked about other schools that had opened up earlier and they had – you know, in the first couple of days, they had a couple, you know, flare-ups of cases, you know, how do you, I mean, what's been the ramifications since that news has gotten out for those schools? Well, I, I think the critical piece is that you follow your protocol, uh, staying, staying in those small groups, they were able to handle it exactly as their plan had in place. They, as uh, mentioned earlier, they sent the nine students and that coach home and that group of 10 they followed their protocol of a 14-day or, or a medical physician uh, doing a test and excusing that and, and bringing people back. And they notified people through their process of, of their data tracking, uh, contact tracing, exactly who, uh, what group needed to be communicated with those families. And it was isolated to small areas. And, and that's another reason that we're doing two-week sessions rather than going through our stages one week at a time uh, in case, you know, as we get our kids to come back, not having enough information about where they've been or who they've been with for three months, we're, we're taking our time again to go back to your original question. But I think following those steps and keeping those groups small allow us to continue if something were to come up. Beautiful. And Jason, you know, pulling on your uh, law background or legal background, um, how do you, uh, what are the issues, the liability issues that come up with um, starting and people getting sick or people, um, you know, affecting the staff that you have, uh, all those things. Like when you look at it from your background, what are points that you're emphasizing across your staff? Well, so much of this is, is unknown and, and new ground. So there's not a lot of legal precedent that's been set. Uh, but just hearkening back to other similar circumstances and even in line with, you know, our fiduciary duty that we have towards uh, not only our students, but our staff, um, it comes down to 
a reasonable person stand standard and specifically applying that here that means is it reasonable that despite the the circumstances that are going on in america uh in your region in your town in your city is it reasonable that that are we're having students participate in sport and, and that goes back to what we said earlier about there's there's protection uh in the collection by saying hey other schools are doing it, other associations are doing it, other organizations are doing it, um, other industries are doing it. And so as long as we're going forward in a responsible manner um, that, that's in line with, with uh, certain guidelines, then I think that that liability piece is, is lessened. But I will tell you this, as a lawyer, um, I normally don't get frightened often and I'm not scared of much because I know uh, as long as you lay that that paperwork and execute on those guidelines and procedures uh, there's a lot of, of protection in that legally but uh, this Sunday I mean I, I woke up several times throughout the night like do, do we have enough hand sanitizer you know do, do we have enough or have we coached our coaches up enough and luckily, um, that first two hours was unbelievable. It was hectic. We were running around and, and just trying to figure it out. And this was after really, uh, as Sean mentioned, uh, almost a month of planning. We had our supplies early. Uh, we had done walkthroughs with each individual coach. But it's still scary nonetheless. You know, I'm going to stay on this. You know, are you using waivers? Is anybody using waivers? Is that even going to help? Uh, Becky raises her hand for that. But Jason, from, from your background, I mean, how do you protect from a document standpoint uh, your athletic department? Uh, we're using an acknowledgement. So when you sign up for our Summer Pride program, uh, which is for all sports, uh, we're, that's part of the process that you acknowledge the risks of COVID-19 and that we're not responsible for any anything reckless that may happen. Uh, but we are um, going forward with certain guidelines. So that's what we're doing. Legally, waivers do work and they don't work. And what that means is they do work because some people automatically assume because I signed a waiver, I've given up my right to, to do so. But legally, uh, there are certain rights you could never waive. So no matter if I say, hey, um, Patrick, you, can you sign this waiver that gives me the right to run you over in my car? Those are rights that, that are inalienable and that you could never give away. Um, so, so there's some protection there. I would definitely say do them, but don't feel secure in them. Okay. Anybody else have, have points on waivers or other documents that you're submitting out to the, the parents? We, we have a waiver that we require to, the students to use, and uh, our athletic association, the state association, basically said you didn't need the waiver because it was. Um, a voluntary process for them to be coming in right now because everything is considered off season. But our district put together the waiver liability acknowledgement that we require each student to have. Um, and if they didn't show up with it Monday or the first time they arrive on campus, uh, we send them home without it. Only thing I would say to that, Bo, is that, like I said, there's not much precedent on this. And, and I look at it from that same perspective that you're absolutely right. There, there's there's uh, no requirement that any student come in, but we all know that there's that implied uh, thought that if sports are going on, my coach wants me there and I've got to keep my spot. And so 
that would be interesting for a parent or a doctor uh, to come up with that legal argument saying there was an implied responsibility that we'd be there because the whole team was there. So again, I think that waiver is something that, that helps in that regard, but it's not something that provides a complete shield. Most of the folks here in Ohio that I've been in conversation with are using a waiver. Patrick, I think it, it lends to the point of, as athletic administrators, one of the most important components with the ever-changing landscape, waiver or no waiver, is the collaboration of working together within our network of our ADs, within our league, within our state activities association, making sure that we are, as Jason referred to earlier, almost a group mentality. All of us are doing the similar thing that builds a little more security in the process. But I think one of the most important components is communication. Communication not only to uh, what is expected of us as an athletic administrator communicating to our coaches, but also to our community. Because what can happen, uh, just one positive test or one situation occur, and you know yourself, a firestorm could occur within your own, own community. So it's imperative that we talk about and discuss and are very transparent in our protocols in which we are enacting within our athletic department. We got some guidance in Arizona. A lot of our schools are with the state risk retention trust program, and they, they provided us uh, similar to what Jason had said was an acknowledgement of risk. And we, we're just incorporating that as part of our normal clearance process, whether it's summer or during the season, kind of getting ahead of it a little bit. As we clear our students during our clearance process, we're just going to include that as, as one of the requirements to complete that acknowledgement. Perfect. Yeah, I'll say on Phil's point, I, I think I was very proud of, of our state ADs and, and coaches and that everybody shared a lot um, and did have that group mentality. Um, and, and maybe not for the exact reason Phil said, which was a great point, but also just because we know there's people out there maybe that are spread even thinner than we are, have less resources, those kind of things. And we really on this deal, you know, felt like, hey, we all got to get this right for our kids. And, and for our school's public school system to get us back uh, in the fall. So, so um, there was a lot of the collaboration that, that Phil spoke of. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this topic up because it, it, it gets frustrating when you put all this work in to create your plan and, and emphasize the rules to your staff. And then somebody down the street, another school down the street or in another county uh, doesn't do that. You're compared to that and you have to play them in the fall you know how are is anybody have any advice on how to deal with those things uh those items stumped gotcha all right i was, I was actually asked that same question today in a, in a uh, committee meeting uh, of our school administration talking about what our plan was for next year and it's interesting. Uh, last month and last month's edition of the NFHS magazine, there was a um, article in the legal guidelines about um, a previous case in which a, a school district had um, chicken pox. Had, had, uh, they, they were a, a particular Catholic school and they didn't believe in the um, getting the, 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 what do they call the vaccines. Uh, and so they were having this outbreak of chickenpox and schools elected not to play against them. And they actually weren't allowed to come 
to the um, the state tournament, which their team had earned the right to. And so that may be something we see in the near future. And that was a question that was posed to me as far as our phases right now in our particular district. Right now we're doing um, strength and conditioning, as everyone mentioned. But our second phase, which starts at the end of this month, we are allowing our schools to create cooperatives with other schools who are practicing safe procedures up to two or three. And so that is going to be a very real question. Um, we're not only going to have to take care of, of what we're doing, but we're going to have to look across the aisle and say, hey, what are you guys doing before we mix and mingle? I mean, does it extend to home teams responsible for doing screening? It very well could. And like I said, it, 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 we're quickly getting to the situation where whether it be because of a particular outbreak or because of a particular locale not having similar guidelines as you or an, another locale, um, that some games on your schedule may not happen. Yeah, Bo, we talked about that. You have some out-of-state games. Yeah, our first three weeks of football are all against out-of-state games or uh, teams. And uh, we lost a week three with a team from Illinois that wasn't allowed to travel, still holding on hope for weeks one and two from uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Uh, but that's a, that's a key factor, trying to, trying to get that so that all those groups together. I think that's one thing that gives the individual high school a chance for this to work is that less travel is better in this situation compared to the college outlook of it. For sure. Phil, you're unmuted. Do you have something to add on that? Well, I agree and concur. I just think it lends to the fact that if I'm a home team, uh, I'm going to reach out to the visiting athletic administrator or administration, and we're going to work collaboratively to make sure that all parties, spectators, third-party spectators, our students, our athletes and officials, are going that the event can be held in a manner that is safe for all parties involved. And, and again, I think it lends to the fact of our networking. It lends to the fact of communicating with our fellow athletic administrators and making sure that, you know, the great thing about our profession, athletic, I'm an old coach and I wanted to win if I was coaching against you. But when I became an athletic administrator, I'm for all student athletes. And, and I think one of the things that we need to really impress upon ourselves as we move forward is to make sure we're recognizing those individual students, whether they're on our team or visiting teams that are performing at a maximum level and exemplifying what student education-based athletics represents. Becky? I just wanted to touch on that question that you had about schools doing different things. I know a lot of um, us, Derek and Jason, both said that they're in different places in the rest of their state, and that would be what's going on in Illinois as well. Um, our state provided us guidelines with which we need to fall within, um, but every school is up to local control to decide what that means in their school. Um, and so that might mean it in one school, they can bring in three to five to 10 different groups at the same time. And it might mean in another school, they're only bringing in one. And so that's just the reality that we're facing right now um, in our state. And I guess our understanding for us is to be able to talk within our league and within our conference to say what makes the most sense locally for all of us so that locally we're on the same page because that's typically who we're competing against. Um, and, and we may even be in a situation this fall where that's the only people that we compete against is at a very local level um, against the schools in our near area. So.
Yeah, I, th I think you're definitely going to see that. And, and one of the things that's being tossed around in Oklahoma is um, getting rid of the non-district games uh, just because there's that predilection to want to stay home as much as possible. When, you, when you're at home, you can better control the nar narrative, right? I mean, we're now even looking at um, uh, ticketless entry. We're looking at, um, if, in case we can't have fans at all, uh, pay-per-view subscriptions. And so it, it, it just allows you to control that narrative a little bit more when, when you're in your own environment. Yeah. So much of fall is the what ifs, right? I'm seeing some questions come through the chat and in my head I'm thinking through like, well, what about this? Well, but, and we could go on and on and on about the what ifs. Um, Sean, you had a really interesting point on, on what you can do and what you're doing now because you've already kind of taken care of your plan. And so I wanted to dive into what's the next thing that you're thinking about. And you had an interesting answer that I'd like you to share in terms of the testing and, and antibodies. Well, so, so we do, similar to like when we have physical days for our student athletes and we offer EKGs voluntarily, if they want to pay for them, we bring in a third party that does that. We've, we've got a third party that, that um, can do the antibody testing um, for $16 a test. Now, I have, I've got a date set. I'm still waiting on all the information. I want to see what their percentage of false positives are and those kind of things before I commit to it. But we are trying to do it, and we're going to do it in late July after these guys have been around each other for all summer um, to see if see what we have, right, and, and uh, the ability when we do have a test, maybe be able to remove some of the student athletes from that, from that group uh, that, that's got to be quarantined. So that's what we're looking at right now and hope to do that in late, late July, right before volleyball and football starts. Thanks for bringing that up. Because I, I just trying to paint the picture, talking to all of you has been fascinating because sometimes the plans uh, is, is the first thing. Yeah, we have our plan. We've been working on that for months. And, and it's just interesting to dive into the what's the next thing because there, there's so many hypotheticals that are out there. Um, so I appreciate you guys opening up on that front. I do want to, a lot of people asked about the plans itself. Would all of you be open to sharing those plans with us at 80 Insider so we could build out an article um, that has those uh, just to give kind of a different spectrum? I know, Bo, yours is online and, and some of yours also might be online. So um, just to answer that question in the chat, uh, I, I think there was probably 200 questions that we did not get to. Uh, I mean, this thing was, moved, I spent half my time in this thing just reading the chat, um, which is great, which is good that, that, that we're collaborating and it's good that, that this many people are, are engaged in the conversation. So what I would like to do now, if our, our panelists could uh, put in your email addresses, which you may have already done, uh, any Twitter handles, email addresses, uh, you guys have been incredible to share this information. So before we, we stop, I just wanna make sure that that gets in there. Um, and now that people know that here's the situations that you're dealing with and how they can relate, you know, cause Becky might be similar to somebody in South Carolina as Sean's it, the same as somebody in Alaska or something like that. So um, this has been really helpful. I do want to give all our panelists one last opportunity to share any information that maybe didn't get covered, um, share any challenging messages to, you know, challenge other ADs um, cause we are hitting that hour mark and I want to be, uh, conscientious of everybody's time. So Bo, top right corner for me, why don't you kind of lead it off and then we'll kind of roll through all the different panelists. One, one thing we didn't talk about real quick is we make our coaches also fill out a temperature check form and a symptom-free thing so that if one of those guys is 
is uh, symptomatic, they're not allowed to be there. And we require the head coach to be at every single training session right now. And thanks for having me. Awesome. That, 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 that's great information. Again, anything we didn't cover, please make sure to address here. So uh, anybody else want to go next? I'll jump in. Oh, Sean, sorry. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Um, I just want to say, stay within the guidelines that have been provided for you. I know we talked a lot about that legal responsibility um, that we're going to have as schools, and there's so much information out there for you. Follow what's been given to you, especially the local information that you've been provided. Um, I think that's really where you need to sit. Phil made some great points in his opening statement. I think this, I think our kids need our coaches right now. uh, And our coaches need our kids. (laughs) I've seen that. Um, And I think uh, we have an opportunity as athletic administrators to, to lead boldly and be bold with our leadership. And it's not, this is not easy by any means. And I think Jason, you know, talked about many of the legalities and those things hang over our heads and, and sometimes they're scary and they create us stress. But I believe that, that, Yes, we've got to be intelligent in how we're doing it, smart and, and aware of all those, th- all those things, but, but we've got to move forward. And, and um, I think with what's going on with this virus and what's going on um, in, in the United States in terms of race relationships and, and police brutality, all those things, our kids need us. And, and uh, so I would just encourage everybody and challenge you, be bold with your leadership. Know this is the right thing. It's one of the best things right now that can happen um, in, our, in our local communities. Um, and, and, you know, if any of us can be in any help as you move forward, let, it, let us help. But, but lead bold and let's move forward. Derek? Yeah, I think – I think that's a great point that our, our coaches need our kids right now and our, and our kids need our coaches. A lot of them have been put in environments that they are not used to. Their, their home was school. Uh, their support system was an adult on campus. It was a team member. Uh, the social emotional needs are probably greater than our physiological needs right now. And uh, just recent events have not contributed much to that. So I, I think build those relationships first uh, get them back, make them welcome. The school is a place they love and want to be. Uh, we just got to make sure we do it safe, safely and use those protocols like Becky mentioned. But uh, take care of those basic needs for kids first. And then we know we got to have them physically ready when the season starts. That's a great idea, but we got to make sure we take care of their mental well-being. Uh, I, I know one of our blind spots was um, the the facility. After you do everything and, and clean and, and disinfect, um, making sure our facilities were truly closed, and that meant uh, not allowing our outside groups to, to use our facility, which are a lot of our, our local youth sports, unfortunately, uh, even some of our local colleges. Um, and so – that's one thing we, we, we have not opened up as far as others being able to come in and use the facility, and, and we don't plan to anytime soon. Uh, but lastly, I would just harken back to Sean's uh, comments, which were great. I mean, it, it's interesting that with all that's going on, the, the spotlight has, has shined on athletics, and it's like it, it's so pervasive, and it's such a big part of everyone's lives that 
now uh, really the world is looking uh, to athletic directors and the like for, for leadership. And so, as Sean said, uh, be bold, uh, no matter what that means. If that means, hey, we're being bold and we're shutting everything down or we're being bold and we're forging forward with a great plan, uh, be willing to do so. Patrick, I'll just uh, close it really by saying, Sean and, and Jason kind of hit on it. My heart's full. My heart's full because of the fact that we've got outstanding leaders, athletic directors who are meeting the needs of our coaches and our students on a daily basis. And, and the only thing I would encourage is you're not in this alone. There's a team. There's a network. Use your colleagues. Use your, your league. Use your individuals that you work with on a daily basis because we're all, in the end, on the same team. And ultimately, what we want to do, our ultimate goal is to produce student athletes who are productive citizens in our, in our country. And so it's imperative that we continue to work together. And I just thank each panelist for the job they're doing on a daily basis. And it's just phenomenal uh, the job that educational leaders have done since that March 13th. And I'm just not talking about from the athletic realm. I'm talking about from the teaching and learning component of all of our students, all of our teachers, our educational professionals have been engaged in producing and offering a product during these difficult times. And that's phenomenal. And so I just uh, congratulate everyone for their continued work. And as we move forward, let's keep working together and, and we'll get through this. Well, Thank you. Thank you to all of you, our panelists. You guys have been phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people are asking is this, if this is being recorded. Yes, it is. It will be on AD Insider's website here in the next few days. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at AD underscore Insider. If you want updates on that, that'll be probably the quickest way to find out uh, when it's live. Um, again, we, we, we are a group of people trying to help each other. So please reach out to these panelists. They, they have been phenomenal with sharing information uh, with us at AD Insider and on this panel, but I'm sure they will help out any way they can um, going forward. And, and also those in the chat. Uh, some people asked, are we gonna be able to get to this, this chat uh, document? Yes, we can export the chat document and have that in the, in the post as well. So really appreciate everybody for joining us and uh, hope you all have a great rest of your day. And thank you for listening to the AD Insider Podcast. We're here to help provide access to experts and educators in the field of athletic administration. So please let us know what you'd like to hear next. All you have to do is message us on social media or reach out to us on our website, athleticdirectorinsider.com.